Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Described as a reformed thrill seeker with stories so weird and wild they beggar belief, Brisbane-based Lisa DeAngelis is the creator of sultry, intriguing country music songs that included last year's Hunger Pains. Her latest single is My Sister's Blue Suitcase. We're going to talk about that and some other things because Lisa has a lot of interesting things in her life. Hi, Lisa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to you because, yes, uh, your bio is an intriguing beginning for me to start writing questions quite apart from the music. But I want to start by saying now, apparently you are a reformed thrill seeker, but isn't live performance thrill seeking? Do you know what that, oh, that's an interesting point. I guess it depends what your thrill threshold is. (laughs) So um, my job actually before, every job I've ever had has been really strange. Um, And before I was a musician, I was actually a tour guide for about five years. Um, And I feel like, and I was a walking tour guide, right? So like City of Sydney, you're walking around, you're contending with all these unexpected things that are happening and hecklers and you've got like 40 people with you. Um, And I feel like, strangely, I find performing live, uh, maybe now like having done so many of those tours, it's just like, a day at the office in some ways it's not scary but I did I think that actually um tour guiding was a bit more terrifying in that it's like a three-hour tour and you think like you keep having these moments where like oh my god this is so weird I'm just like standing in this circle of people and I'm just talking and whether or not they have a good day like is completely hanging in the balance of whether or not I can remember all the information whether I can tell it well whether you know we can like yeah. So I think there's there's actually feels like there's less variables with live performance, interestingly. <laughs> well, I suppose also if you're leading a tour group, it's like don't fall over that, don't trip down there, don't fall into the gutter, like all that. There's a lot of totally. there's always someone lagging behind who got lost across the street, or there's like a group that wandered off and walked in the wrong direction. And like, you know, there's at least um an audience who's watching you sing some songs is generally in a confined space. I'm veering off a little here, but I'll just say this, then we'll move on. But but I did talk to someone recently who runs like true crime tours of Sydney. And he said the big problem, because a lot of them are in the inner city, is that someone will say, I just want to go to Burke Street Bakery to get a coffee. I'll be back. like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here. There's no running away. (laughs) Yeah. There's a set route and that's where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine there's a bit of that. But yes, in live performance for music, they're in a venue. There's no Burke Street Bakery for coffee. Yes, exactly. Less variable. So when did you actually start performing as a musician? Because I do feel that leading walking tours is a form of performance. Absolutely. Um, oh, probably, do you know what? I feel like on a, a release level, I've sort of I've only got, uh, say, three songs out on like all the streamers and that sort of thing at the moment, um, starting with Tumbling Back in like 2019. 2019? No, goodness. COVID took so many years of our lives, I don't even know. I think it was 2021. <laughs> I think it was, yeah. 2021. <laughs> um, but uh, I basically only had those three songs released circumstantially. Um, mm-hmm. And I had another EP that uh, we recorded and then got shelved through, like, uh, you know, 
circumstances outside of my control probably about six years ago now so it sort of looks a little bit like I just kind of sprung up and I'm like giving it a red hot crack and in some ways that's true it's only really been with these three songs that um, things have come together enough that I've been able to actually make anything happen with them and do the touring and whatever else but probably uh, on under my own name probably for about five years, five or six mm-hmm. years, but on and off. And before that, I was always in, I was in punk bands mostly. Um, yeah, that's where I started. Uh, and then from punk music, it was a small step into folk punk music, which Sydney has quite a big scene for. Um, and then from folk punk, I mean, folk punk is basically Americana music, just sang more aggressively, you know. So it was like a short... <laughs> Short little little jumps along the way, but I've been in bands for probably a decade and then taking it seriously, recording music for probably, yeah, maybe six years. Um, and then this part of my career started in 2019 uh, when I went to the Academy of Country Music and that sort of thing. But it's been a bit of a, a stop and start weird journey for me. Well, yeah, probably takes the path that needs to take, and COVID was a factor as well. Um, but you said sure. you were in bands from about 10 years ago. Was that as a singer or were you playing an instrument before you sang? As a singer, um, almost exclusively. So I started songwriting, um, like, almost right away. I just kind of fell into bands because I was already a, a singer. Um, my first job straight out of high school was, like, in a duop <laughs> trio Um, So I was always a singer um, and then I started songwriting, but I really felt like what was missing for me was that I didn't really have anything to say yet. Mm -hmm. I I felt like I didn't have a lot of life experience. So you can write a melody or you can write some interesting lyrics, but if there's not sort of any like meat behind that, I feel like, you know. Um, And so once, uh, you know, I'd been writing for a few years and then I had that EP get shelved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the final straw that I was like, that's it. I just need to be able to be self-sufficient. I need to learn how to record. I need to learn to play guitar. Um, and so I did that. I just bought myself a guitar, taught myself to play in about three months out of desperation um, <laughs> in, I think, 2017. And then, yeah, here, here we are. But it was that that sort of pushed me over the edge that I was like, I've just, I've got to learn to play myself. I have to learn to record myself. Right you know no so that it, nothing like this can happen again you know right yeah yeah necessity is the mother of invention as the saying goes um <laughs> so Absolutely. when you said when you left school you were but you went straight into performing as a musician as a singer so I'm guessing through high school or if not before you were singing so at what age did you actually start singing did you have any lessons or anything like that I did so I was a tr- I was I started like singing lessons probably around 15 I was not one of those people at all that was like a three-year-old kid being like I'm gonna be the next superstar look that was not my journey at all um I thought for most of my life that I would become a graphic designer or something an illustrator something more in that realm um until I got a little bit older and I realized that I'm like a bit of a show-off and I actually want to be on stage so I um I started singing when I was I think 15 and I remember just the way that I I got into that was basically by just signing myself up to do music as a subject and being like well sink or swim you've already agreed to do two years of it so you know 
Um, and that was sort of my approach the whole way through. Years, a couple of, I was a very shy child. So a couple of years of music and in high school, mm -hmm. and then a couple of years of drama for my HSC at the end of my high school mm -hmm. education. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't go to uni or anything like that because I just wanted to like, just wanted to like take a bite out of the world, basically. I went straight from uh, leaving high school into a singing job. And then shortly after that, I started backpacking on my own uh, in different countries. And eventually, yeah, kind of made my way back here, but very roundabout. Probably 15 is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew you'd have, you must have been singing for a while because you posted something on social media recently where you were breaking down the harmonies in yes. my sister's blue suitcase. And I was like, okay, there's some there's yeah. a technical awareness going on yes. here. It's a great that video. Was, oh, thank you very much. I, that's my favourite thing. I always want to hear the vocals isolated. And I thought that maybe other people might like to hear them too. But no, I, I am a, a trained singer, I guess. Um, and then that job that I got out of high school, um, my singing teacher got me the audition for. And then she was kind of like, okay, I'm also on this job and we, I probably don't have anything to teach you anymore. Um, but that was how I learned to harmony sing, was in like a, a duop group, you know, like one high, one low, and then the, the melody. And it's yeah. something that I loved exploring. Yeah. So your sound now, your, the, the songs you've released are not like each other lyrically and they've got distinct musical identities, but you do have a sound that you've developed. So I'm wondering if before you started recording Tumbling Back, which was the first single, you thought about the sound you wanted and actually purposely set out to craft it. That's a very good question. I think that's true. So my first, that EP that got shelved, this sound that we're at at the moment is a continuation on from an EP that no one heard. So um, I think if you were to hear that EP, uh, it would make a lot of sense that we that over a few years I've sort of gradually moved in this direction. But it was the same sort of thing as far as a lot of vocal layering. I like really uh, lush kind of orchestral sounds. So, you know, the um, we used a lot of strings on that EP, but say for my sister's blue suitcase, I really wanted a, a brass section. Mm -hmm. um, there was... My partner, Paul, and I co-produced these three songs and this album that they're a part of. Um, and there was a lot of work, I suppose, before we actually started recording of me trying to convey what the sound I was thinking of was and then him filling in the blanks. But it's really been very, I think, really organic. We we sort of tend to be on the same page. There really has not been anything so far that we've been like, that is not it. Whereas every other producer I've ever worked with, there's been a lot of me sort of pulling on the reins and then wanting to go in a different direction. And um, But more than anything, it was that I played him that first EP so he could sort of see where I was coming from. And then I played him a bunch of acoustic tracks, you know, the demos of all of these songs. Um, and then there's, of course, like a playlist that is not necessarily songs that sound similar, but songs that have the same vibe that I wanted, you know. And more than anything, the, the sonic influence is Western films. So really we sort of, we watch a lot of Westerns, we watch a lot of horror films, and that was sort of where the merging of the, I guess where, that's where the sound came from rather than, you know, than any particular influence, which I think is hard for 
it's been really hard to market as far as like, you know, when you pitch to something and they go, who do you sound like? You're like, I don't know, the 310 to Yuma, you know? <laughs> that was it. That was what we were drawing from. <laughs> yeah, look, when I'm, I, I don't tend to use um, comparisons when I'm writing about music or talking about it um, for this because I, I, it's a whole thing of, of, of trying to say that, that this, you should listen to this artist because they sound like these other people. No, you shouldn't listen to them because they sound like themselves. Yeah. Because it's different sure. and interesting. And and I understand the need to do it. It's, you know, categories are useful and all that sort of stuff. But I was like, no, these artists stand on their own. Don't try to compare them to someone else. And thank you as an artist. Thank you for saying that and taking that approach. So we appreciate it. These comparisons are useless, particularly if they're American artists. Uh, anyway, talking about your um uh, your current single, My Sister's Blue Suitcase, which is like a family epic saga. Um, in, in, oh, thank so, you. Um, I'm wondering what the inspiration was for the song. Yeah. Oh, family epic saga is a fantastic. I'm, I'm just going to slap that on everything. I get that made on stickers. Like, that's great. Thank you. I love that. Um, yeah, so it's. One of those songs that I wrote in a single sitting and figuring out, honestly, you know, I think people always ask you what the story behind something was. And for me, a lot of the time when I'm writing something, I don't know what the story is. It's coming from a really like primal place, usually quite in the the case of something like my sister's blue suitcase, really unexpected. I didn't know it was in there. I didn't know it wanted to come out. I was just fiddling around with some chords and then just kind of like spewed the whole song out um, in a single sitting and then just put my head in my hands and cried and was just like, oh, my God, that was really intense, you know. But when I think about what I was drawing from and what I was going through at that point in my life and also all the specific lyrics and, you know, all the experiences that I was drawing on, it was basically like three things that sound very separate but all for me are very interwoven I suppose so the first one was my my parents divorce when I was a child I think there's some lines in there that are pretty obviously you know broken home broken childhood home sort of situation Mm -hmm. there was that um the other thing was my OCD diagnosis, which I probably got about five or six years ago now. So I spent my whole life living with and struggling against this thing that I didn't even know I was struggling with, basically. And because of that, I'd internalized a lot of feelings of, uh, you know, like blame or shame or what have you for either being the, the catalyst for relationships failing or for not being able to handle things the way that other people do it or whatever else. Now that it's all managed, it turns out I can handle things just fine. But I didn't know that for many years. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is that this sort of, uh, I, I've come to think of it as this, as like a generational curse, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, that has struck down all of the women on my mother's side of my family mm-hmm. throughout their lives, which is basically um, uh, depressive disorders more than anything um, or anxiety disorders or whatever else. But there is definitely a very clear genetic link that kind of runs through all of us. And those three things, I suppose, because they're all kind of family related, they all make up 
so much of my story as a person, so much of why I react to things the way I do or why I've moved through the world the way that I have or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Those three things I think are all really integral parts. So they sound like very distinct things, but to me they're all kind of like one one knotty ball of clay. (laughs) Well, that was a weird mixed metaphor. I don't know, but, you know. I know what you mean. (laughs) But, yeah, so I think that was that's what it was for me was an evening I think like a night in the middle of the night of just feeling really overwhelmed by you know um the the traumas that we we carry that don't necessarily even belong to us and how Mm -hmm. far back do they go and you know the loneliness that that can cause even though you're one in a generation you know yeah Yeah. there are a couple of lines in the song um I'm always starving for love or for closure and I've been hungry for years. And when I heard them, well, that was sort of like, oof. And then I thought it's a conundrum though because I guess hunger for a variety of things is an integral part of being an artist actually. Like mm-hmm. if that hunger is ever sated, then you're probably not making art anymore. Yeah. I Would well, you know what? That's an interesting point because a big part of why I fought the OCD diagnosis for a long time was because I thought it might, I actually thought it might dry out my creativity, which has not been the case at all. It just means that I'm not just like slumped in a, in an emotionally overwhelmed blob all the time. But um, that was actually why I fought against it because there has to be, has to be, I do think there has to be some amount of uh, tortured artist in there to make the kind of music that I like. And Luckily, what I've found is that through, say, like therapy or working on things myself or, you know, just kind of unpicking them emotionally, songwriting about things, talking to people, the conversations that songwriting opens up, um, even though I get to different points of like closure or resolution or understanding or whatever else, um, the well does it dry up even though I'm not struggling with it the same way that I was anymore. So that's a relief. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. It's the great lines though, part of a great song. So I do recommend Thank it. <laughs> um, now an interesting point I wanted to mention, cause it's in your bio is that you are, yeah. you are the daughter of a psychic medium. Yes. And I imagine this might've influenced your understanding of what's possible in the world and therefore perhaps influence you as an artist. Cause I'm friends with the psychic medium and I know that, that they see the world in a particular way. In fact, that it, yeah it's many dimensions of time at once for like yes I oh yes that also that um everything happening concurrently like everything happening everywhere all the time at the same time is absolutely something I subscribe to my um so my dad's a psychic medium he started uh like developing his abilities I suppose when I was a small child so it's been really around for most of my life um and my mom is this incredibly just uh like vivacious go-getting kind of person who just believes wholeheartedly in her her family you know me my sister my dad when they were together um and so she really took the reins on uh, I guess making making his career happen in a lot of ways, you know, finding opportunities for him to go and do things, and they were really like this, uh, very, this real like 
force, I suppose, to be reckoned with in that community. So I was raised um, with the benefit, I suppose, of having my parents who were already really open-minded, interesting people. Mm-hmm. And then also all these really incredible experiences and interactions with really interesting people that I don't think I would have gotten otherwise. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I also went to Catholic schools and it really was, <laughs> and it was always this kind of weird thing for me where like my parents were doing really well. And then I also felt like, especially as a child, you, you know, you feel like, you know, this is not the place to talk about this, but yeah. then the lines for me also got really blurred, which has been an interesting thing for me to sort of unpick as I get older, realizing that once I kind of got into adulthood that I tended to want to keep things to myself because I felt like I didn't really know when the time to say things was or mm-hmm. you know um and I think a lot of uh being so open and I guess so vulnerable in songwriting when it's appropriate and in interviews and whatnot when it comes up um started originally a few years ago as a means of like sorting that out for myself being like no no I'm like taking control of what I say and when and it's fine you know but I got very lucky I think I had a very lucky childhood I feel I'm as a person very optimistic and upbeat and I feel like everything is possible and you know there's just magic out there just waiting to happen and we can just grab it friends you know (laughs) there's definitely a lot of that in me yeah it's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to approach each day. I feel. Thank, you. Yeah. Thank you. And, and possibly also spurring you on to, uh, you know, take opportunities such as this is my segue, the Academy of Country Music, which you mentioned earlier, um, yes. so, because Academy is not, um, yeah, I've interviewed a few people who've gone there, but not that many people actually go there. It's, it's, you have to apply to get in. It's not like yeah. you can just, you know, say, I want to go. So when you went there, did you have any expectations of what it would be like? I didn't know what it was, right. <laughs> to be totally honest. So this was that, and I, I don't say that in like a like high and mighty way at all. I mean, like it was my very first entry into country music as opposed mm-hmm. to just making the music that I'm still making now, but making it by myself without a community in right. Sydney and not knowing how to turn that into anything um but so you know I mentioned that I I had my EP shell I was really cranky obviously cranky doesn't cover it I was like devastated and furious Mm. um and I decided that I had to learn to play guitar I was like this is how I'm gonna do it I'm gonna take control of my destiny and so I started learning to play guitar I started booking shows um within a few months that I had no choice but to learn so I couldn't back out of it And then once I could play guitar, I wrote a couple of songs on guitar and it was the first instrument I'd really fallen in love with. I tried to play others and not really been into it. And then I was like, okay, great. So I have some songs. I think they might be country songs, you know, old country songs. Um, What now? And I guess linking back to that thing about coming from like a spiritualist family, I'm always really aware of what I always ask for is like illuminated next steps, you know, make it so obvious to me where I meant to go next, but I can't miss it. And 
I was literally, I was just on Instagram scrolling around and I saw a paid ad for Academy come up on the screen and it mm -hmm. said, you know, find your tribe or something. And I'd been crying earlier that day about how I didn't know how to do anything further because I was just on my own. I didn't know anyone in the same community. I was like, my tribe, that's what I need. So I applied um, and I submitted some of the songs. I think maybe one of the songs that I'd written. Um, and Roger Corbett contacted me, I think the next day and was like, we'd love to have you. So it was amazing. Oh, wow. And I went there though. And I think they were all so overwhelmed because I just went in like, it bounced in like a Labrador, just like ready to, oh my God, there's, you know, so much happening and there's all these people and I'm so excited. We're all going to be best friends. And they're all, you know, really like quiet, dignified country folks. So I think we're all like, mm. but, um, <laughs> you know, we all, we all got there in the end. <laughs> and I actually had just the most uh, incredible experience. It was really transformative. Um, it introduced me to a whole bunch of, uh, you know, people who I've worked with in different capacities since, um, taught me a lot about, you know, what you need to do next. And, you know, mm. um, and one of the really big things that came out of it, probably the biggest thing for me, was that Haley Marsden was working there the year the only year actually that she worked there was the year that I was at Academy and she was there doing their social media yes. stuff. Um, and we met and got along uh, just in passing. And then she sent me a message after the final concert saying, you know, I really love that, that song that you did. I just think it's amazing. And then invited me to come and open for her, her Tamworth show the year she was nominated for a golden guitar. Um, and it was through doing that show then that the bass player on her gig and I met and he was like, this girl's really going to be like a great fit for my best friend. And he, without my knowledge, ended up setting me up with Paul Bain, who is oh. now my, my long-term partner. We've been together for three years. And that was how it started because of, you know, illuminated right. next steps, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That is a great story. Yeah. So it, it took a little while to sort of see how it was going to play out. But honestly, I, I probably wouldn't be even sitting in my lounge room in Brisbane right now if I hadn't gone to Academy because I don't know when Paul and I would have crossed paths. Yeah, right. I love that story. It's hard yeah. for me to get a follow-up question to that story. <laughs> But I well, what I will say is I know that Paul's been very a very big support for you through some travails you've had over the past mm -hmm. while, which is to do with your hearing. So you became very unwell, I believe it was last year, um, mm -hmm. year before, and uh, your hearing was very badly affected. Now, for a musician, that is this is not well a good outcome for anyone. It's not a good outcome, but particularly for you in the midst of trying to see the path illuminated before you um, yeah. so how are you now well so it was it was last year it probably was I'm it, I think it was May last year I feel like I did um I did a single release for hunger pains for hunger pains it didn't get released to like any fanfare because I was more or less unconscious for like the first few months after it came out um I did a release gig I felt like yes everything's like on we're on the right path we're all heading in the right direction and then literally the next day I believe I woke up and I just couldn't hear in one ear and 
I sort of said to Paul, like something weird is happening. Maybe I've got an ear infection and sort of, you know, all the things you do when you're trying to unblock your ear, like, is there some pressure thing going on here? Um, and basically we went out to, we just went out to lunch. I made a doctor's appointment for the afternoon. And by the time we'd finished lunch, I just couldn't even balance anymore. The world was spinning. I was falling over on the curb and throwing up. Um, we, he quickly rushed me to emergency. Uh, and it was the scariest experience of my life. Um, where basically what I got was something called labyrinthitis. Um, and almost all the information about it on the internet is wrong, which made it scarier because, you know, everyone keeps telling you it's temporary. It's going to clear up in a few days. And then to have the hearing test and they're like, oh, it's very likely permanent. And you know, I remember Paul and I just being like, I'm sorry, what? But I spent uh, a night in hospital uh, just throwing up uncontrollably while the world spun just vertigo. Like you can't imagine they eventually had to sedate me because none of the medications were working and it was just this absolute night from hell and then it took about nine months of um I had hyperbaric oxygen treatment there's an incredible facility here in Brisbane at the hospital which was amazing and they really took good care of me um which was meant to try to bring back my hearing but actually seemed to fix the vertigo which was amazing um and then physiotherapy because my eyes were affected. So one of my eyes was moving slightly behind the other one. So I couldn't balance or walk. And then I had vertigo and it took about nine months. It was horrible. I've got about 50% of my hearing. I've got 50% of my hearing back in my, my deaf ear. Mm-hmm. But um, when you say 50%, I've sort of stopped even bothering trying to explain it, except that now I've already said it. So here we go. Basically, uh, when you say 50%, people imagine your full range of hearing just softer, and that's not the case. Um, what I've lost is everything in my high register, like all of my mids and highs, and all I've got in my in this year now is the low register, which basically means, say, if I'm driving on the road, you get like this really unpleasant, loud sound of the road or if people are talking to you, then you can't really make out what they're saying because all the high part is cut out. It's very strange. Um, everything else has basically come good. I still notice that I have moments, of, like little moments of vertigo, um, but apparently even like recovering anywhere near as much as I did, I'm like a medical miracle, you know. They kind of kept telling me like that none of my hearing would come back at all. Um, and not to sort of hope for anything or get too excited or whatever else. And there are people who labyrinthitis becomes permanent for and those vertigo bouts just forever, you know, which is just brutal. So, yeah, very strange illness. And very disconcerting, I would imagine, and for you still to have to have that level of sound, yeah, the different resonances that are not matching what's happening in the other ear. Oh, I've, oh, we've, oh, there you go. As soon as you finished talking, of course, you came back in very clear focus. That's always the way. But yeah, very disconcerting. It was very, um, I've got to say though, I felt, I felt so sort of stubborn about it. Like, um, this is where I've landed and I'm just going to figure it out as I go. But 
specifically, I am not stopping doing music. If you think that I just spent all this time and money and emotional expenditure on like chasing my dream, I've managed to release two singles and now I go deaf in one year. I don't think so. So I um it was a process. My my um day job is cover gigs. So um I think I started gigging again within a few weeks and just sort of like sitting on a chair and trying to be like, it's fine, this is all right. And, you know, Paul had to come to some of my gigs to start with and help me feel confident that I was getting the volumes right. And eventually just started using in-ear monitors in, you know, my right ear and then kind of a little bit over my left so I can figure out what's going on. And that's made a world of difference. And now I don't really notice anymore, which is, uh, yeah, weird. It was shocking and horrifying when it happened, but it's, you know, you carry on. Well, I guess so. There are very few other options, really, yeah. <laughs> particularly if you want to keep making music, which you do, and you do beautifully with my sister's blue suitcase. I couldn't keep talking to you for hours, but I should let you get to the rest of your evening. Um, Lisa, it's been such a treat to talk to you. And my sister's blue suitcase is out now. People can go and listen to it. And you mentioned an album. So obviously that will be en route at some point. Yes, there is one coming. There's a few more singles before then, trying to get myself back on track after losing the momentum of the first two. So got a few more singles and then there is an album coming that I am co-producing and I leave for tour with the Audrey's for their New South Wales leg of their tour and then with Hayley Marsden the week after that, all through New South Wales. And thank you so much, Sophie, for all of your, uh, you just do such a beautiful, insightful job of asking questions and observe making observations big fan thank you very much thank you it was great to talk to you bye thank you thanks for listening to the sunburnt country music podcast for more australian country music interviews and reviews and other things go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to sunburnt country music on instagram facebook and tiktok